0: Chapter 6, Part 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P. T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Struggles and Triumphs of P. T. Barnum, Chapter 6 My First Traveling Company, Part 2 Towards dinner-time we began to look out for the grand mansion of Lady Hayes, and seeing nothing but little huts, we quietly pursued our journey. At one o'clock, the time when we should have arrived at our destination, I became impatient, and riding up to a poverty-stricken hovel, and seeing a ragged, barefooted old woman with her sleeves rolled up to her shoulders, who was washing clothes in front of the door, I inquired, "'Hello! Can you tell me where Lady Hayes lives?' The old woman raised her head which was covered with tangled locks and matted hair and exclaimed hey no hayes lady hayes where is her plantation this is the place she answered i'm widder hayes and you are all to stay here to-night we could not believe our ears or eyes but after putting the dirty old woman through a severe cross-examination she finally produced a contract signed by our advertiser agreeing for board and lodging for the company and we found ourselves booked for the night it appeared that our advertiser could find no better quarters in that forlorn section and he indulged in a joke at our expense by exciting our appetites and imaginations in anticipation of the luxuries we should find in the magnificent mansion of lady hayes joe pentland grumbled bob white indulged in some very strong language and signor Vivala laughed he had travelled with his monkey and organ in italy and could put up with any fare that offered i took the disappointment philosophically simply remarking that we must make the best of it and compensate ourselves when we reached a town next day when the old woman called us to dinner we crept into her hut and found that she had improvised benches at her table by placing boards upon the only four chairs in her possession and at that some of us were obliged to stand The dinner consisted of a piece of boiled smoked bacon, a large dish of greens, and cornbread. Three plates, two knives, and three forks made up the entire table furniture and compelled to resort to our jack-knives. A short horse is soon curried, and dinner was speedily dispatched. It did not seem possible for an audience to assemble in that forsaken quarter, and we concluded not to take the canvas tent out of the wagon." By three o'clock, however, at least fifty persons had arrived on the ground to attend the night show, and they reported more a-coming. Accordingly, we put up the tent and arranged our small stage and curtains, preparing seats for two hundred people. Those who had already arrived were mostly women, many of them from sixteen to twenty years old, poor, thin, sallow-faced creatures, wretchedly clad, some of them engaged in smoking pipes, while the rest were chewing snuff this latter process was new to me each chewer was provided with a short stick softened at one end by chewing it and this stick was occasionally dipped into a snuff box and then stuck into the mouth from whence it protruded like a cigar the technical term for the proceeding is snuff dipping before night stragglers had brought the number of people on lady hay's plantation up to one hundred and soon after dark we opened our exhibition to an audience of about two hundred The men were a pale, haggard set of uncombed, uncouth creatures, whose constantly moving jaws and the streams of colored saliva exuding from the corners of their mouths indicated that they were confirmed tobacco chewers. I never saw a more stupid and brutish assemblage of human beings. The performance delighted them. Pentland's sleight-of-hand tricks astonished them and led them to declare that he must be in league with the evil one, signor vivalla's ball tossing and plate spinning elicited their loudest applause and bob white's negro songs and breakdowns made them fairly scream with laughter at last the performance terminated and pentland stepped forward and delivered the closing address which he had repeated word for word a hundred times and which was precisely as follows ladies and gentlemen the entertainments of the evening have now come to a conclusion and, we hope, to your general satisfaction. But now came a dilemma. The meaning of this announcement was quite above the comprehension of the audience. They had not the remotest idea that the performance was finished, and they sat like statues. With a hearty laugh at Pentland, I told him that his language was not understood in this locality, and that he must try again. He was chagrined, and declared that he would not say another word— Little Vivala laughed, danced around like a monkey, and said in his broken English, "'Aha, Signor Pentland, you no speak good English, huh? These educated people no understand you, eh? "'By God, what fools! Ah, Signor Barnum, let me speaks to them. I will make them jump double-queak.' I quite enjoyed the fun, and said, "'Well, Signor, go ahead.' the little italian jumped upon the stage and with a broad grimace and tremendous gesture exclaimed it is finish he then retired behind the curtain but of course the audience did not understand that he had told them the performance was finished no one would have understood him hence the spectators sat still wondering what would come next by god said vivalla losing his temper i will give them a hint and he loosened the cord and down fell the curtain on one side of the stage good good cried out an enthusiastic poor white giving his quid a fresh roll to the other side of his mouth now we are going to have something new i reckon they's totin that plunder off to get ready for a dance said a delicate dipper making a lunge into her box for another mouthful of the dust things were becoming serious and i saw that in order to get rid of these people they must be addressed in plain language so walking upon the stage i simply said making at the same time a motion for them to go. It is all over. No more performance. The show is out. This was understood, but they still stood upon the order of their going and were loath to leave, especially as the, to them, extraordinary announcements of Pentland and Vivala had prepared them for something fresh. Several days before, our band of musicians had left us, reducing our orchestra to an organ and pipes, ground and blown by an italian whom we had picked up on the road we had in addition a large bass drum with no one to beat it and this drum was espied by some of the audience in going out very soon i was waited upon by a masculine committee of three who informed me that the young ladies were very anxious to hear a tune on the big drum pentland heard the request and replied i will accommodate the young ladies and strapping on the drum he took a stick in each hand and began to pound tremendously occasionally he would wrap the sticks together toss one of them into the air catching it as it came down and then pound away again like mad in fact he cut up all sorts of pranks with that big drum and when he was tired out and stopped he was gratified at being told by the young ladies that they had never heard a big drum before but he played it splendid and they thought it was altogether the best part of the entire performance. The next forenoon we arrived at Macon, and congratulated ourselves that we had again reached the regions of civilization. In going from Columbus, Georgia, to Montgomery, Alabama, we were obliged to cross a thinly settled, desolate tract known as the Indian Nation, and as several persons had been murdered by hostile Indians in that region, it was deemed dangerous to travel the road without an escort only the day before we started the mail stage had been stopped and the passengers murdered the driver alone escaping we were well armed however and trusted that our numbers would present too formidable a force to be attacked though we dreaded to incur the risk vivala alone was fearless and was ready to encounter fifty indians and drive them into the swamp accordingly when we had safely passed over the entire route to within fourteen miles of montgomery and were beyond the reach of danger joe pentland determined to test Vivala's bravery he had secretly purchased at mount meg's on the way an old indian dress with fringed hunting shirt and moccasins and these he put on after coloring his face with spanish brown then shouldering his musket he followed Vivala and the party and approaching stealthily leaped into their midst with a tremendous whoop Vivala's companions were in the secret and they instantly fled in all directions Vivala himself ran like a deer, and Pentland after him, gun in hand and yelling horribly. After running a full mile, the poor little Italian, out of breath and frightened nearly to death, dropped on his knees and begged for his life. The Indian leveled his gun at his victim, but soon seemed to relent, and signified that Vivala should turn his pockets inside out, which he did, producing and handing over a purse containing eleven dollars. The savage then marched Vivala to an oak, and with a handkerchief tied him in the most approved Indian manner to the tree, leaving him half-dead with fright. Pentland then joined us, and, washing his face and changing his dress, we all went to the relief of Vivala. He was overjoyed to see us, and when he was released his courage returned. He swore that after his companions left him the Indian had been reinforced by six more to whom in default of a gun or other means to defend himself Vivala had been compelled to surrender we pretended to believe his story for a week and then told him the joke which he refused to credit and also declined to take the money which pentland offered to return as it could not possibly be his since seven indians had taken his money we had a great deal of fun over Vivala's courage but the matter made him so cross and surly that we were finally obliged to drop it altogether from that time forward however vivalla never boasted of his prowess we arrived at montgomery february twenty eighth eighteen thirty seven here i met henry hawley a legerdemain performer about forty-five years of age but as he was prematurely gray he looked at least seventy and i sold him one half of my exhibition he had a ready wit a happy way of localizing his tricks was very popular in that part of the country where he had been performing for several years, and I never saw him nonplussed but once. That was when he was performing, on one occasion, the well-known egg-and-bag trick, which he did with his usual success, producing egg after egg from the bag, and finally breaking one to show that they were genuine. "'Now,' said Holly, "'I will show you the old hen that laid them.' It happened, however.' that the negro boy to whom had been entrusted the duty of supplying the bag had made a slight mistake which was manifest when hawley triumphantly produced not the old hen that laid the eggs but a rooster the whole audience was convulsed with laughter and the abashed hawley retreated to his dressing-room cursing the stupidity of the black boy who had been paid to put a hen in the bag after performing in different places in alabama kentucky and tennessee we disbanded at Nashville in may eighteen thirty seven, Vivala going to New York, where he performed on his own account for a while previous to sailing for Cuba, Hawley staying in Tennessee to look after our horses, which had been turned out to grass, and I returning home to spend a few weeks with my family. Early in July, returning west with a new company of performers, I rejoined Hawley and we began our campaign in Kentucky. We were not successful one of our small company was incompetent another was intemperate both were dismissed and our negro singer was drowned in the river at frankfort funds were low and i was obliged to leave pledges here and there in payment for bills which i afterwards redeemed holly and i dissolved in august and making a new partnership with z graves i left him in charge of the establishment and went to tiffin ohio where i re-engaged joe pentland buying his horses and wagons, and taking him, with several musicians, to Kentucky. During my short stay at Tiffin, a religious conversation at the hotel introduced me to several gentlemen who requested me to lecture on the subjects we had discussed, and I did so to a crowded audience in the schoolhouse Sunday afternoon and evening. At the solicitation of a gentleman from Republic, I also delivered two lectures in that town on the evenings of September 4th and 5th, on our way to kentucky just before we reached cincinnati we met a drove of hogs and one of the drivers making an insolent remark because our wagons interfered with his swine i replied in the same vein when he dismounted and pointing a pistol at my breast swore he would shoot me if i did not apologize i begged him to permit me to consult with a friend in the next wagon and the misunderstanding should be satisfactorily settled My friend was a loaded, double-barreled gun, which I pointed at him and said, "'Now, sir, you must apologize, for your brains are in danger. You drew a weapon upon me for a trivial remark. You seem to hold human life at a cheap price. And now, sir, you have the choice between a load of shot and an apology.' This led to an apology, and a friendly conversation, in which we both agreed that many a life is sacrificed in sudden anger, because one or both of the contending parties carried deadly weapons in our subsequent southern tour we exhibited at nashville where i visited general jackson at the hermitage huntsville tuscaloosa vicksburg and intermediate places doing tolerably well at vicksburg we sold all our land conveyances excepting the bandwagon and four horses bought the steamboat series for six thousand dollars hired the captain and crew and started down the river to exhibit at places on the way at natchez our cook left us and in the search for another i found a white widow who would go only she expected to marry a painter i called on the painter who had not made up his mind whether to marry the widow or not but i told him if he would marry her the next morning i would hire her at twenty five dollars a month as cook employ him at the same wages as painter with board for both and a cash bonus of fifty dollars there was a wedding on board the next day and we had a good cook and a good dinner during one of our evening performances at francisville louisiana a man tried to pass me at the door of the tent claiming that he had paid for admittance i refused him entrance and as he was slightly intoxicated he struck me with a slung shot mashing my hat and grazing what phrenologists call the organ of caution he went away and soon returned with a gang of armed and half-drunken companions who ordered us to pack up our traps and plunder and to get on board our steamboat within an hour the big tent speedily came down no one was permitted to help us but the company worked with a will and within five minutes of the expiration of the hour we were on board and ready to leave the scamps who had caused our departure escorted us in our last load waving pine torches and saluted us with a hurrah as we swung into the stream. The New Orleans Papers of March 19, 1838, announced the arrival of the steamer series, Captain Barnum, with a theatrical company. After a week's performances, we started for the Atacapas country. At Opelousas, we exchanged the steamer for sugar and molasses. Our company was disbanded, and I started for home, arriving in New York June 4, 1838. End of chapter six, part two.